Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope you guys are doing okay. It's my second week at work. Today is April 5th. You'll hear this next week. And, you know, just getting back into the swing of things isn't really making me feel any better. (laughs) I know that was like an optimistic way to start my show, but you just got to fake it till you make it. This is like the long haul of grief. So we will, we will get through. My kids are doing much better. So there is a silver lining, but I want to talk to you today about self-esteem and how that impacts anxiety and OCD because it really has a very powerful impact on how our kids approach their anxiety or OCD issues, how they tackle them, and how it can actually make it worse. So I want to dive into that today and talk a little bit about that. So there are some themes with anxiety and OCD that really partner with self-esteem issues. And it's a little bit of a chicken or the egg thing, which came first. You know, did my child get this anxiety or OCD theme and that hurt their self-esteem or did the anxiety or OCD pick this theme because there was already self-esteem issues? And I really feel like I could, you know, talk in generalities right now, but I feel like there is, and this is just totally my opinion, I'm not going to quote any research, but I do feel like there is a somewhat of a biological component to self-esteem. You can have three kids, four kids, you can have 10 kids if you really want to be crazy. I'm not putting anyone down who has 10 kids. That's amazing. (laughs) I struggle with my three, but they can all have different variations of self-esteem. Some can be really confident. Some can be really insecure. And I do feel like there's a little bit of a biological nature to our disposition. Now there's a huge environmental component. You know, do we foster self-efficacy and self-worth or do we make it worse? And so, you know, it's the nature nurture both have a role in that. The good news is that we do have a role in that. And so even if our child is maybe wired to be negative or wired to think poorly of themselves, we get to have a big impact or we can try to have a big impact on kind of reshaping those thoughts and feelings and helping them believe in themselves. So that is, that's the awesome part. Okay. So some of the themes that I feel like you can't even treat or talk about or raise a child with these issues without tackling self-esteem include social anxiety. So social anxiety is really at the crux of social anxiety is the feeling of being rejected or scrutinized or judged or isolated. And people think sometimes social anxiety is about not being able to talk to people. That is not social anxiety. And I have a slew of social anxiety podcasts. So to save you time, if you're dealing with that, episode 199 is a really good episode to listen to on social anxiety. And also episode 88, I talk about the things you can do in parenting a child with social anxiety. Episode 199 is how to help children with social anxiety. So it's maybe different information. And I also have a YouTube video on social anxiety. You know, on my YouTube channel, you just have to actually go to my YouTube channel search my name if you can't find my YouTube channel and it will pop up. There is a search button if you're on a desktop. And so if you ever have any topic that you're like, I wonder if she made a YouTube video, 
because my YouTube videos predominantly are for your kids directly. And so I hope that you're using both of these resources. This podcast is for you and to give you guidance and my YouTube predominantly, and I say predominantly because sometimes I will do parent things on there, but my YouTube channel is to kind of say the same stuff, but to your child or your teen directly. So if you go on a desktop and you go to the search button on my channel and you type in a keyword, you're almost always going to find that I've done a YouTube video on that topic. Yeah. I'd be surprised if you can't find a topic that I haven't covered, but there is one on social anxiety. There's actually quite a few on social anxiety. Okay. So moving on from that theme, uh, perfectionism is also one that is very tied into self-esteem. It it doesn't mean that if you have poor self-esteem or if your child has poor self-esteem, then they're going to have perfectionism or vice versa. It just means that self-esteem has to be part of the dialogue when we are dealing with perfectionism or social anxiety. And the other one that just came to mind, and I'm sure there are others, there may be even really obvious ones, but you know, the brain is not firing on all cylinders. (laughs) So this is just what came to me like very quickly is moral OCD or Um, also known as scrupulosity OCD. So in that theme, I feel like I'm a bad person or I'm afraid I'm going to be a bad person, or I feel like I'm incongruent to who I want to be. And so there's a lot of self-analysis. And with OCD in general, a lot of the themes have a lot of self-analysis, but moral OCD, I would say actually moral OCD and harm OCD. And, you know, we have these cute names for these things, but OCD is OCD, but this is just how it's manifesting in the moment. You know, whether I'm afraid I'm going to be a bad person or with harm OCD, I'm afraid I might harm the people I love. And so that really impacts the self-esteem because if I'm constantly getting intrusive thoughts that say, you know, I want to say the F word, moral OCD, or I want to push someone, you know, off a cliff, or I want to push that person in front of a car and I really don't want to, but I'm feeling the urge or I'm having an intrusive thought that says that that's really going to take a hit on how I view myself. I'm going to feel really bad about how I view myself. And as kids get older and they have more, you know, intrusive thoughts that are violent or sexual, they feel gross or disturbed. That's going to affect how they view themselves and their self-esteem. So very interconnected. The other thing, so those are themes that can impact, right? So with social anxiety, I know I'm a little all over the place. I just keep skipping back, but I'm going to have upsetting anxious thoughts that say they're talking to me, but they really don't like me or look at them. They're not even interested in what I'm saying. Or they all went out together and they didn't invite me. It must be because they hate me. So the the voice of social anxiety will destroy your self-esteem. And it is a chicken or egg thing. Do you have social anxiety? Is that how your anxiety manifested because you had low self-esteem? Or sometimes with social anxiety, you know, maybe you're genetically predisposed to have anxiety, but you've had some bad experiences that have kind of led you in that direction to have that theme. You know, when I was growing up, going back and looking at it, because I actually wrote a memoir on social anxiety and it was actually almost done. It was done. I was in the editing process and then my husband passed away. And so like that just put a pause on pretty much everything, but breathing. It was kind of interesting because then when I like look back at my life through the social anxiety lens, which I had to for this memoir, it was interesting because I don't know if I would have gotten that theme. I think I would have had anxiety because because it's just genetically rampant in my family. And it would be a miracle if I like got out of that genetic tree with unscathed, which wasn't going to happen, but would it have been social anxiety? It could have been something else. It could have just been anxiety for like my health, or it could have been an anxiety theme related to my safety. 
there are many different anxiety themes. You don't, if you're an anxious person, it doesn't mean you're anxious in all areas. There are anxiety themes and they can change over time, but you normally have your themes that tend to trigger you more. But we moved around a lot and my parents put me in all these different schools. And so when I wrote out my memoir, which is actually very therapeutic and everybody should actually probably do that if you like writing, I got to see my whole life through the social anxiety lens. And I was a super confident zero to seven-year-old. So zero to seven, I was super confident. Then we moved around. We went to a different state. We moved to all these different schools. I got put into an inner city school that was really rough and I was targeted. I think that's when my social anxiety really started to blossom in an ugly sort of way. So, and then my insecurities followed. So would I have gotten that if I wasn't feeling isolated, alone, picked on? I don't know. You know, there are people who have social anxiety who don't have those things, but sometimes our experiences can shape what themes happen. So we want to look at that kind of stuff. The other thing besides the themes really exacerbating the anxiety or the OCD is the work itself. So if I have low self-esteem or if I have a parent who loves me so much that they inadvertently do everything for me and they send me a message that they're not trying to convey, but they send me a message by doing so much for me, more than what's maybe developmentally appropriate, that I can't do it myself. My self-efficacy goes down. And so the belief that I got this, that I can do it, goes down. And when I have that, and it's not necessarily caused by parenting. Some kids just have that. They feel like they can't do things. What are the odds? If I feel like I can't do my math homework or I can't tie my shoes or I can't ride a bike or I can't clean up my room or you know, I can't write this paper, how am I going to believe that I can tackle anxiety or OCD? How am I going to believe that I can do exposures or challenges or face my fears on any level when I can't even do the simple stuff? And that's where social... I don't know why I wanted to say social anxiety again. It's like my, my mouth just wanted to form those words. <laughs> but that is why self-esteem and anxiety and OCD really do have an important dance together. Because if I feel like I can do things, if I feel like I can do hard things one small step at a time, and people around me believe in me, I'm more likely to take on the challenges of battling my anxiety or OCD, taking steps towards fear or discomfort instead of choosing avoidance and not doing those things. And so even if you have a child who does not want to talk about their anxiety or OCD, doesn't want to work on it, a lot of times parents will say to me, you know, I can't really do anything. He doesn't want to work on it. He refuses to talk about it. And so he doesn't want to see someone. So I'm at a loss. Like I've got nothing. And to me, there's always something you can be doing it just depends on what it is. And so it's going to be different for each person, depending on where your child is at. I actually talk about this in my series, uh, survival tips for parents. And I do that series twice a year. I have two different series. So I have the self-care series on how to help you take care of yourself while you're raising kids with anxiety and OCD. And I was doing that series by doing that series when my husband died. Yes. Everything's like a blur now. I don't even like it's two months, but it feels like two years since I've thought about work stuff. So, but the other series that I do is survival, survival tools for parents raising kids with anxiety and OCD. And I am going to start that series up again. It is going to be starting in the beginning of May. So stay tuned for that. If you have never taken it before, it's a free video series. And I walk you through 
some of the important first steps on, on how to help your child with anxiety or OCD. So that will be coming, but it's like what your entry point is. And so if I have a kid who's immobilized and it's not going to work on anything, then I'm going to maybe work on their self-esteem and in a, in a way that doesn't feel overt or obvious to the child, but I'm going, I'm going to set my intentions and say, they don't want to work on this because they feel so bad about themselves. And they don't want to work on this because they don't believe in themselves. And so I'm not going to say that to them. I'm not going to work on it and say like, you need to believe in yourself. So we're going to work on that. I'm going to be more subtle, but I might start working on their, their self-esteem in, in, in roundabout ways in making them feel powerful and effective and that they can do hard things in small bite-sized pieces. I have two episodes that are really good to listen to in how to build self-esteem. So episode 91 of this podcast, I would definitely recommend to go back and listen to that because I spent an entire episode talking about the how. How do you build self-esteem? This episode is a little bit more of like opening your eyes to how self-esteem does impact your child, getting you to view things in a different way, think about things in a different way. I feel like I never say anything that's like earth shattering, but I feel like sometimes I just take a flashlight to areas in the dark that we haven't looked at or forgot to look at or hadn't considered or have need to reconsider. So that's what this is today, but I'm not going to leave you in the lurch. <laughs> there are plenty of resources. So episode 91, I will walk you through exactly how to build your child's self-esteem. And then episode 12, going way back. I don't even know what that episode must sound like being one of my first episodes, but I wrote, I wrote, I read, I didn't read. I talked, (laughs) but barely about things that we can do that inadvertently hurt self-esteem. So I think that that was an article first. And that's why my lips again are like completely betraying me today, but they wanted to say, right. That was an article that I converted into a podcast. That's what I did when I first started this podcast. I had been writing articles for like two years prior to that. So I like converted a lot of my articles into podcasts. So catch episode 12 and 91. I'm also going to link just a search link to my website, atparentingsurvival.com, because I searched my website and those podcasts came up, but also there's a couple of YouTube videos that I did for kids that could be really helpful. One is like working on the negative self-talk. One was about like, I think perfectionism. One was about taking things personally, I believe. Anyway, when I did the search for my website, I was like, oh my gosh, these are all really good for this topic. And so instead of linking them individually, I'm going to be lazy. I'm just going to link my search link and so that you can go to my website and see all those right there. So hopefully that will help. So I have noticed in my practice, which is no longer, but in my past practice, that self-esteem kind of made or break the, the pace of therapy. If I didn't have to cheerlead that child as much because they already kind of had some belief in themselves that exposures or the challenges, the things that we were setting up in therapy went a lot faster. And so for those kids that didn't, I had to do a lot more handholding and building them up first and a lot of cheerleading and a lot of like encouraging. And so therapy went, went slower. That's okay. You know, they both eventually get to that finish line. Well, there's really never really a finish line, but they get to that like feeling of success where anxiety and OCD is so tiny, they can really enjoy life. But if we work on self-esteem parentally, we can kind of move things along. And self-esteem is a good thing to work on anyway, because if our kids don't believe in themselves, you know, they're going to have a rough life because 
self-love is really what drives so much of our happiness. And without self-love and self-compassion and self-belief and self-efficacy, you know, the belief that you can, that you can do things, everything else kind of crumbles. So, you know, ironically, you know, all three of my kids have, I would say quasi low self-esteem. So, you know, and I, you know, I always like to throw myself under the bus, but so here I go again. And I don't, you know, I've been working on it since birth. And so it's a complicated thing as a parent. And I think as parents, we are, we're very quick to blame ourselves and be like, oh my gosh, my child doesn't believe in themselves or they feel like they can't do things. It must've been my fault. We play a role, but we've just play one part. They are around kids. They're around teachers. They're around family members outside of us. They're around life experiences. They're around their own skills or lack of skills. You know, our kids come with talents and weaknesses and how they want to perceive those will be for them to perceive alone. We only get to water that flower pot or we get to let it dry out. That's our part. And it's a big part depending on, you know, how negative we are. We can definitely like that, that flower wilt, but we're, we are still one component. So we have to have kind of self-compassion for ourselves when our kids have poor self-esteem. You know, my son is perfectionistic and he's a lot like his dad was like his dad was like crazy good at stuff. My husband. So like before he died, maybe a few months before he died, he wanted to be more like, I don't even know what he was doing, but like our dryer broke down and he's not one to understand how to like fix a dryer. And he like went on YouTube and he like learned how to take the dryer apart and put it back together and he fixed it. And if he couldn't do something and he couldn't learn it quickly, he would be very hard on himself you know, like emotional stuff, softer stuff, you know, communication. So if he wasn't good at that instantly, then he would be like, I'm a failure at this. And, you know, my son is similar. If he's not good at something right away, he's very hard on himself. A lot of times with me, if I'm not good at something, like growing up, someone was teaching me something and I wasn't good at it. I would blame like, oh, they're not teaching me well. (laughs) That sounds horrible. But I would also look at outside things if it was a task thing or like, oh, you know, I'm just, my legs are just not fast enough, you know, and I could try to, you know, learn how to run more and more and become really fast, but I'm not really into that. So it's okay. Whereas if it was a social thing, I went to a party and nobody talked to me, then I'd be really hard on myself. So I think we're all hard on ourselves in different ways. And our kids are hard on themselves in different ways. We want to look at that. We want to really understand that. So we work on that at my house. I work on that with him, you know, that when he plays drums, he doesn't have to be perfect. And so his self-esteem comes from those things. And my, my daughters have different self-esteem issues. My youngest seems super, super confident. She is, she's got a bold haircut. She wanted like this, like short on one side and long on the other. And she is very vocal and very social, but she becomes really hard on herself when she can't do a math test fast enough, or if she gets a B and that's not coming from me. I hang up bees. I celebrate. As long as you gave it good effort, I celebrate. So it's not always coming from us. Sometimes it's coming from them. One thing I will say when it comes to the anxiety and OCD realm is sometimes we inadvertently send a message to our kids that they can't, they can't fight their anxiety or OCD. And we do that by accommodating. And accommodation, you know, when we do something, they say, I'm, I'm too scared. And then we go do it for them. Or when they say, uh, they have an OCD issue and we, you know, we do their compulsions with them. 
a lot of times we think, you know, we're just helping them. We're just trying to make life easier for them. But inadvertently, we are really telling them that we don't believe that they can do it. And that even though that's not the message we want to give them or convey to them, it is the message that they subconsciously can get. So, and that's kind of what the space program talks about. I don't know if you've heard of Ellie Leibowitz's space program. Um, he's got a book on it now. And it talks about removing your accommodation, which is a really important thing. Now, having said that, sometimes it's it's too soon or our kids aren't ready. And so we, we can't pull back 100% our accommodation. But it is important to know that accommodation and self-esteem do play an overlapping role with each other. And I know that can seem really bizarre. You might be like, how is that possible? But it is because when we over-accommodate our child, we're also taking their power away. Not that we want to. So I'll give you an example. My son will often want, like he won't go in his bedroom. Like he goes through different phases. And, you know, because we're dealing with grief and my husband's death, anxiety and OCD is like, whoop, turn that volume up. Like they're all weak at this house. Let's just go in there and turn the volume up. So a lot of old themes are coming up right now. Like I need that. Like I need a hole in my head. I'm already drained and exhausted, but whatever. That's me complaining. So he might say, oh, it's too dark in there. So I could just accommodate 100% and go in there, turn the light on and let him know he's fine. And then he can come in. And that's really sending him a message that I don't believe that you are brave enough to be able to go in there and handle it yourself. Or let's say I say, he's not ready for that right now. Like I can't just have him go by himself. He would freak out. He's not ready for that. There's always small steps in between. So I might say, I'll go with you, but then I want you to turn your light on. That's an option, right? Or I'll go with you and let's open up your closet together. That's an option. So if you can find the smallest little step that they can actually do themselves, no matter what it is, the more empowered they're going to be. So always have your child do that last step. And I talk about that in, I think, episode 91. I talk about how to build self-esteem. And I'm pretty sure I talk about that probably. Because even when you're teaching your child like how to tie their shoes, I would always like tie it all the way until the last step and then have them go backwards. You know, and that's just like a basic approach to teaching kids skills is, uh, I'm sure there's a fancy name for it that I can't remember right now, but it's like, it's not stacking. I don't know what it's called. When you like, you do everything for them, but the last step, and then you keep going back down. So it's the same thing with anxiety and OCD is just making sure that they can do that one uncomfortable thing. And then you praise them for it. And you just say, see, you know, that was really brave of you. You were able to turn the light on yourself. That's awesome. We want that independence. Independence and self-esteem are also very interconnected. Um, Now, I will tell you that sometimes we just can't do it. And that's okay. Like I have, okay, so this morning, was it last night? Like I am just drained. And so my youngest is going to do AZ merit testing. So like standardized testing, I don't know why they do it. I think standardized testing is so stupid. It causes our kids so much stress. And thank goodness she actually got a 504 plan last month, I guess. She's at a new school and the counselor's amazing. And I'm like in my like complete like comatose zombie like mind frame right now. And she like called me in and it's like, let's do a 504. And I was like, okay, okay, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> you know. And she just powered through and did one, which now, I'm, I mean, even then I was so thankful, but standardized testing, right? So she's nervous about it. So she's nervous that she's going to fail. She's going to fail third grade. You know, the poor little girl, she's got like, she's grieving her dad right now. We've got a lot on our plate. We don't need AZ merit, but we don't get to choose. 
And then she was worried that she was like going to have to pee because she had sensory motor OCD. And then she was worried she was going to throw up because she's so nervous about the peeing and the failing. I mean, it just would not give her a break. So last night, preemptively, now this is, this is, this is a bad thing to do. So I'm like telling on myself, I have never let my kids sleep in my bed because my husband and I were like really good about like, you're safe in your room. I want to like really foster that. And so that was just our philosophy. Not that there's anything wrong with any other philosophy, but I was just really good about that because I knew it's like a black and white thing. Like once you get gray, it's really hard to ever go back. And so, and even with this grief and stuff, my kids have never asked to sleep with me, which I totally would have been fine with because it probably would have been nice. But last night she's been coming into my room like twice. She's come into my room like because she had a nightmare and I'll be like, just come on in, which we never did, you know, as a couple, it was like a really strict rule at our house. And so last night I was just like, she was already like revving up. I knew she was going to have a hard time sleeping. She was worried about the testing the next day. And I was like, okay, we'll just get, you know, just get your pillow and come and sleep in my room. And she was like, and even she was like, well, I don't know if that's going to help. I'm like, well, just come in. That was like, that was not sending a good confident message (laughs) to her that she was going to be okay. But I was just so exhausted myself. I didn't really want to be woken up multiple times last night. And And so I was sending her, I was like basically conveying a message that you're going to crumble and just come. Now I'm not beating myself up about it because I'm giving myself some huge grace because life is just not great right now, but I'm just using it as an example of like, you know, accommodating before she even asked accommodating. And then this morning she's taking some medication like PRN, like just for panic. And I just like, was like, here, take this and gave it to her before she even was panicking because I was just like, which is again, conveying like, you're not going to be okay. And she did really well. And I emailed her teacher and I was like, I'm sending you a very anxious kid. And then I got an email actually just an hour ago from the teacher saying like, Hey, she did great. I don't know if she asked to be tested alone. She's allowed to eat now in between because she won't eat. So anyway, it's good if you're able to get a 504 plan, because you get these like little things in place that really can help with the little extras that some schools and teachers won't let you do. So she's been really fortunate, but total tangent. I apologize. My point is I would never do that on an ongoing basis. Like basically what I did in the last 24 hours, just because we both have had so much, we've had enough that I just was like, we're, I'm just going to be proactive, but I'm sending her a message before she's even crumbling that she's going to crumble. And so, you know, in a regular life, in a regular world, when death isn't happening. If your child's having a trauma or grief, and I did do an episode on that last week, you have to give yourself some slack and you have to give your child some wiggle room because life is just messy and that's different. But on an ongoing basis, we really want to uh, watch our over-accommodation and like our preemptive accommodation. Like I'm going to stay with you at this birthday party because I know that you're not going to be okay. You haven't even asked me to stay, but I'm going to stay just in case. Or here, I'm going to, I'm trying to think of an example. I'll, you know, I'll drop you off at school, but I'll stay in the parking lot just in case you have a hard time when your child didn't even ask for that or didn't even say they were going to have a hard time. So those are just two examples. I'm sure there are lots of other examples as well, but a lot of times we are cocooning our kids and either accommodating or trying to get them to avoid a trigger ahead of time because we treat them like they're fragile. And the message that we have to convey to them is that no matter what hits you in life or what you are tackling, we believe in you and we know that you can handle it. It doesn't mean that you're going to have to handle it alone, 
but you're going to handle it as best you can. And I'll be there to support you. And that will look different for different kids, depending on to what levels you support them. So self-esteem is really important. And it, it really is an important thing to weave into your conversations when you're talking to your kids, because a lot of times we focus purely on the anxiety or the OCD and we forget to weave in a little bit of confidence about themselves. So I'm trying to think of another example to give you to wrap up this podcast. I know my, my son and I talk a lot about confidence and I, I try to find times where he's doing something that shows his progress to highlight the success that he's had. So and this, this is a really weird example. He's playing this video game. That's really hard, you know, and he's, he's very frustrated and it's like, I don't know if it's a luck thing or whatever, but he's been talking about like that. He's been trying over and over and over to get this thing, this unit, and he can't get it. And other people get it like in an hour. And he's been trying for hours and hours. And you would think that's really nothing to praise, right? Like, oh, well, my child's like completely, utterly plugged in to a video game. And yeah, like, where's the, where, where's the silver lining in that? But this is a kid who would like chuck his iPad across the room if he lost or got frustrated. This is actually a kid who got upset yesterday at Easter because his sisters were finding more eggs than he was, even though they have different color eggs because I'm no mama fool. They all have, I mean, even my 17 year old participates in this. They each have 12 eggs and they look completely different. So there's no like rush to grab an egg because my anxious kids can't handle that. He still was getting upset because they were like one or two eggs ahead of him. And I kept saying, it's not a race. Everybody has their own eggs and I hid them at different levels, depending on your ages. It's not a competition, but he couldn't hear that. So when he's sitting there playing a video game and trying over and over again, and he's being patient, you know, I said to him, you know, I think it's amazing that you're sitting there failing each time and you're trying and you're going back and you're, you're being patient and you're trying over and over again. And he's like, yeah, I was thinking that too. Like, it's nice that I'm being really patient and I'm not getting angry and I'm not getting mad at myself. It's just going to take some time. So finding weird, weird situations or things that your child is doing and doing well and highlighting how far they've come or how they're handling it in a great way is a good way to build self-esteem because just like he's sticking with that, he can stick with an exposure and build up his tolerance of discomfort or his ability to face fear in just the same way that he's doing with his iPad. And self-regulation is a big deal for him. So we're, I'm just praising the self-regulation, like woohoo. You are self-regulating. Let's all celebrate that. (laughs) So I hope this kind of opened up your eyes to self-esteem and I hope it got you thinking about your own kids and like, what areas are they confident in? What areas are they overconfident in? Because overconfidence tends to be an overcompensation. So when I see kids kind of bragging and, you know, seeming a little cocky about something, sometimes I look at that and say, they're the most insecure about those, those areas. So what is your child really, truly confident about? And what are some of their insecurities, whether that is social insecurities, physical insecurities, academic insecurities, uh, appearance insecurities, and start to work on that. Listen to episode 91, because I'll talk to you how to build that self-esteem in a less conspicuous way, because you're your child's parent. And so any kind of like, woohoo, you are the best. It's not going to be internalized. We have to do it in a much more subtle, intentional way. And I'll talk about that in that episode, but start thinking about it and start thinking about how often we are highlighting the things they do well 
and the progress they make. Small steps lead to big change. I say that a lot. And a lot of times I find that parents forget because we're dealing with so much and we're so overwhelmed. We forget to celebrate the small steps and we're onto the next thing that they need to work on, or we're onto the the bigger issue or, well, you're, but you always will sleep with me, or you're always going to, you know, have a hard time going to school. And we look at the end goal and we forget to celebrate the little steps towards that end goal that does build self-esteem. So thank you for listening to another episode of mine. I hope that you're enjoying these podcasts. I'm sorry that I was gone for two months. I'm back to doing it every Tuesday. So if you're enjoying it, please don't forget to hit a star on iTunes, give a little love back, let other parents know that you are enjoying it. If you have a few extra seconds, you can write a review. I would greatly appreciate it. I'm a little behind in reading reviews because it's been two months. And so I'm going to go back and read the last one that I haven't read. So I want to say thank you to LL Minor. They said, new listener. Today I found Natasha. What a sense of relief. I'm a parent of a 17-year-old boy. He developed OCD about eight months ago, primarily with germs. He started seeing a therapist six months ago. However, she does not specialize in it. It has been a huge struggle watching him suffer with the distorted thoughts and rituals. He has good days and bad days. His highway of compulsions keeps growing. I have been struggling with waves of emotion. So glad to have found your podcast. They help give me hope. Well, I'm glad that you found some hope. You know, it's unfortunate that he doesn't have a therapist that is specializing in OCD because that's really important, especially being 17. Because you're really like, as a therapist, you're not trained in how to, you're really not trained in how to treat OCD, which I know sounds completely ridiculous, but I would recommend if you haven't already go to iocdf.org slash find dash help, go to the IOCDF foundation. If you're in the United States and see if there's anyone in your area, getting an OCD specialist is number one priority. It's not like other issues. You can go to a, a you can have anxiety or you can have depression and go to like any therapist and they're going to have some understanding and knowledge on how to treat that. OCD is a very specific treatment approach. And unless you've been trained or you've bothered to learn yourself how to do it, you're not going to know how to treat it. So a little bit on my soapbox, but I'm glad you found my podcast because at least I can guide you in the right direction. The other thing is if you don't see anything in the IOCDF directory, you can always go to um, NOCD. Um, you can go to treatmyocd.com and they have virtual therapists like in all, I think all 50 states. So you can go to treatmyocd.com and see what you can find. They're not sponsoring the show. I am just actually giving you a resource. So anyway, thank you for the review. If you're listening and you have something nice to say, please feel free to take a few seconds to write a review. That's very much, I don't know, I can't even speak today. It's kind and I appreciate it. So thank you. So I hope that you have a wonderful week. I'll talk to you again on next Tuesday. And don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 